This week on The Sport Blokes. On this week's show, we take a deep dive into the 2020 NBA draft, analyze the seemingly countless transactions from the NBA offseason, and look at what could have been one of the biggest dynasties in NBA history. Basketball. Basketball, let's do it. So, Stewie, here we are once again, this time for an NBA free agency draft special, having recently got together to watch a recording of the coverage of the draft from a few days ago with another one of our basketball mad friends. Several teams have already had significant facelifts, which we'll talk about. And it's also been a unique draft, obviously for various reasons, mostly associated with COVID-19. It's the first time an NBA draft has been held virtually in its 73-year history. Teams have had much longer than usual to scrutinise the game tape of the respective players due to the break that occurred mid-last season. But conversely, they haven't had the benefit of the NCAA tournament and fewer interviews and workouts, and the rookies will well and truly be thrown into the deep end with training camps imminent and the season now just only a month away. So today we look forward to talking about a few of the prospects we've had a closer look at here in Australia, including Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton, who played in the NBL last season, as well as Aussie Josh Green, who joins an exciting Dallas team on the up. Of all the things in sport, drafts are perhaps the most inexact science. For every Anthony Davis, there are 10 Anthony Bennett's. And I use the name Anthony intentionally for reasons that will become obvious for those that don't already know soon. Now, as I've mentioned, we've both watched a recording of the coverage, we've done our research, we've scoured the news articles, listened to podcasts, followed the talking heads, as we always do, to give you the best update we can on sport. But first things first, as always, my friend, what caught your attention and what do you miss? Well, what caught my attention was something that actually caught my attention a couple of weeks ago. We haven't had time to address it until now because there's been so much else going on. So a couple of weeks ago, Shaq put out his all-time NBA team stating Uh, that no one would beat them. His team was Shaq, LeBron, Jordan, Bryant, and Iverson. Now, the thing that caught my attention from that was Iverson. Now, I would definitely argue that he isn't the right point guard for that team. He's very much a me-first guy. I mean, look, he never got the chance to really put his playmaking skills on display because he played with a lot of hideous teams. And, but even when he was in Denver with Carmelo Anthony and Kenyon Martin, Marcus Camby, those sorts of guys he was still averaging around six or seven assists. So for me on that sort of team, you know, you would take a Magic Johnson or a John Stockton or an Oscar Robertson before Iverson. I prefer Magic's size, so I'd probably take him, but Stockton was a pretty good defender as well. So that definitely caught my attention. A couple of other things about that that caught my attention. If you look at the team, it's all guys that Shaq either played with or against. So you could easily argue the likes of a Kareem, a Wilt or a Bill Russell would take his place at center. Personally, I like Kareem because of his better free throw percentage. His career low was actually higher than Shaq's career high. So (laughs) I'd probably go with him. And he has the single most undefendable signature move in basketball history for me. Um, And I'm probably going to put Tim Duncan in over Kobe just purely because of the size. You've got twin towers with Kareem and Tim Duncan. You've got an amazing defender. Duncan was an eight-time All-NBA first-team defensive player. So that's kind of, I guess, where I would go. So I'm going Kareem, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and Magic Johnson. I think they beat Shaq's team in a seven-game series easily. Who have you got? Well, you're, you're always going to uh, get a tick from me when it comes to Tim Duncan. I, I kind of looked at it a little bit differently, actually. I thought, okay, I'll pick a team that can't have any of the players that he has on his team so that they could actually match up in this weird virtual world. At center, it's tough. Uh, Kareem is one of my favorite players of all time, even though he's notorious a bit of a dick, apparently. Uh, it's very tough to, to choose between him and Russell. 
I, I tended to, I'll say Russell because he didn't need to score as much and it's different to yours too. So that, that makes it easier for me, I guess. I do have to go with Timmy at power forward though. I'll go with Larry Bird at small forward. For my backcourt, I'll go with Jerry West and Magic Johnson. I know you had Magic as well, but it's hard to go past the Magic Man. So that's the team I would pick to uh, beat Shaq's five. I think both of our teams would beat them fairly comfortably. So yeah, um, one of the other one of the other things that was interesting was that Michael Jordan's team has resurfaced online. He had him, Magic Johnson, Scottie Pippen, James Worthy, and Hakeem Olajuwon. A decent side, but again, I'd still take my team over them, and I'd take yours as well. So. Well, and obviously he picked players he played against too, including Big Game James. Once had a triple-double in a Game 7. Loved him too. So what caught your attention, Dave? Well, what caught my attention, not only was someone called Cassius selected in in the NBA draft, there were two Cassius selected back-to-back. So at 53, Cassius Winston, and then right after him at 54, Cassius Stanley. And by the way, that was just after Kenyon Martin Jr., the son of Kenyon Martin, who had a pretty long career in the NBA, went to a couple of NBA finals, and the second son of a former player. That's what caught my attention. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I certainly didn't miss the NBA draft, unlike former Illawarra (laughs) Hawks player Justinian Jessup, who was quarantining at the time and didn't actually realize he'd been drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Someone give that man a league pass. Yeah, he had to be told by one of his mates. So yeah, I, I... I don't feel like I really missed anything in the lead up to this episode because of how basketball focused it was. How about yourself? Well, what I missed in during the draft was the booze that David Stern used to receive and then the applause oh. and, and adulation that Silver would then get afterwards. Uh, so, and, and look, they handled the, the remote draft a lot better than the NFL did. It seemed like Roger Goodell was doing the virtual draft out of his bloody basement. At least the NBA one still had a podium and a nice background. And so I think, you know, all things considered, it was a weird draft, but it was certainly an interesting one. I think it led the all-time drafts in dreadlocked players and uh, possibly players that cried too. Yeah, there really were a lot of tears in this one. You could probably almost argue that the draft was sponsored by Johnson & Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously they weren't using it properly then because that's meant to be... No, no this is very very true. Yeah, it's probably (laughs) the opposite actually. Maybe it was one of the tissue companies like Sorbonne. Now, we need to talk about the season and how it works first at the top here, I think. The schedule will be released in two halves. The first half will be released in a week or so just in time for the start of the training camps. And the run will be between the 22nd of December and March 4th. Then the second half will be released later. That will run from March 11 to May 16. Each NBA team will play the teams within their conference three times for a total of 42 games while playing the teams from the opposing conference twice, which will be 30 games. What we do know at this stage as far as the second half of the season is concerned is that there'll be another play-in tournament in mid-May and the playoffs will begin May 22nd. Now, the league said that its Board of Governors unanimously approved the play-in tournament proposal on a one-year basis. The teams with the seventh and eighth highest winning percentages will have two chances to make the playoffs, while ninth and tenth will have one chance. The winner of seven and eight will advance to the playoffs. The loser will host the winner of the 9-10 game, as had been previously reported, what do you reckon? I mean, I'm not a massive fan of these sorts of things, but I do kind of like the idea of more teams trying for longer. And I think I said this before the Portland-Memphis play-in game that we had during the bubble. So I guess teams that are maybe way out of contention for an eight seed, but maybe are only a game or two back from the 10 seed, have a reason to not tank and play until the last game of the season. So I guess that's fair. in terms of that, I, I do like the idea. Hmm. But yeah, I mean... I think you and I are the same. We're, we're traditionalists. We like the we like the history of the game and we like the way that it has been up until now. So tinkering with these things just for the sake of a bit of extra revenue, 
and I, and I guess that's maybe another thing is that there's a lot of revenue that they will be missing out on this year through lack of crowds. So it is potentially a chance to make a little bit extra through the TV rights and that sort of thing. So as long as the basketball is good quality, if it means an extra few games and a bit of extra money for the league, then I can't really see a huge problem with it. So yeah, I, I just, I do like the tradition. That's all. How about yourself? Yeah. I'm trying to, Check my tradition at the door, I guess. I, I mean, it, I, I've said several times that I hate cheapening a season. The idea that you could finish 10th, have a vastly inferior record to the 8th place team and still make the playoffs on the basis of two games doesn't sit well with me after a 72-game season. However, that's in the isolation of a non-COVID world. Who knows what's going to happen? The whole season might need to be shortened. There's, there's any number of things that can happen. The COVID cases in America are now, I think, above 200,000 a day or thereabouts. So some states, I think it was an increase in 50% or more. So it's it's really going crazy over there. So I think we have to kind of uh, appreciate and understand it's yet another asterisk season and we've just got to roll with the punches. But I don't like the idea of a playing game forever going forward. So I'm glad that it was only voted on a one-year basis. On that note, though, I guess a couple of questions I have for you as well. Playoff-wise, do you think the league is going to have to go back into a bubble? I think they'd be wise to. I think it would be a better product. It'll be interesting to see if the players are are happy to. So who knows, in about six months or so, they might have a vaccine that's effective. Uh, It's really hard to know, isn't it? But I think I, I hope that that option's on the table because I think that it might be a good idea to go into a bubble. Like I heard recently that the Major League Soccer is maybe having to postpone play, or not postpone, cancel playoff games, and the winner will be based on points per game. Like Not even not even goals per game. Yeah, I know, right? Like America and oh. soccer. But can you imagine? Like it, it would, that would be terrible. So we thought last year was an asterisk. Fingers crossed. And if they have to go into a, a bubble, then I'm all for it. What do you think of releasing it in, in stages? Obviously, the AFL did that this year. They did it more than two stages. And I actually like the AFL approach. And I'd kind of wish that the NBA had maybe done it in, say, four stages. Yeah. Look, I like the idea of certainly releasing a timeline so that we know roughly what the season's going to look like. And the great news, obviously, is the fact that as far as we can tell, the playoffs will be back at the same time as they usually are, which which is great. It means that all things going well will kind of be back on track for an 82-game season next year. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can certainly see your point about releasing it a little bit smaller in the chunk size because obviously, yeah, if you're trying to release at this stage three and a half months worth, we don't know what's going to happen in three and a half days, let alone three well, and a half exactly. months. So yeah, exactly. Like the it, AFL it was... What, a 17-game season that they released in four stages? This is a 72-game yep. season. They're only releasing in two stages. So and, that's, and that that's, actually, a, that's a missed trick, I reckon. And that actually leads into the other question I had for you, which was your thoughts on the teams individually being able to decide if they have fans in their arena or not. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I guess they all have different financial situations. Uh, a lot of teams were absolutely bleeding money, and it depends what the industry that the owner's in. So, for example, Fatada in Houston is involved in the cruising industry, and we know what cruisers are like at the moment. So mm-hmm. I'm okay as long as they're really, really strict with the safety precautions. I don't know if they can afford to have people courtside, for example, but I'm okay with crowds managed if it's done in a, in a safe, secure, and smart way. Yeah, it is an interesting one because I think Golden State were talking about trying to have their stadiums about half full. Or sorry, their stadium, I should say. Not not that I have more than one, obviously. But uh, <laughs> yeah, having theirs their sort of half full, which is obviously a, a, a really big number 
considering all the stuff that's going on and you know california hasn't really been amazing with regards to the amount of cases so they're certainly one that you would worry about a little bit it's it is a worrying sort of thought to me it certainly you're right it does go on a case-by-case basis if you're talking about a state that hasn't had a huge amount of of cases then you could certainly make a, a a better sort of argument for them having more people in the stadiums but yeah all it's going to take is the same as last year where there's one outbreak in one of those stadiums and they're probably going to shut everything down again so uh, it's risky but obviously i understand the the financial implications it has on the league i think it's a good year to have a deep team because if they're going to have the approach like the nfl where they're just going to play no matter what the only very few games have been postponed you you that bench depth will come in handy yeah, we could be seeing a lot of players come out from the G League. We could be seeing a lot well, of Well, the G League's not going to be running. That's the thing. Well, so, so that sort of gives them a pool of players to, yeah. to kind of choose from. But yeah. but you could see a lot of games where teams only start seven or eight players as well. Yep, it's possible. It's highly possible. You better not foul out in that game. No, God, no. So, Shui, obviously we don't have time to go through every single draft pick, pick by pick. But we will look at the top of the draft and the lottery teams. At number one, of course, was Anthony Edwards shooting guard to Minnesota. In the end, not all that surprising. No, look, it definitely made sense. I mean, a lot of people would have gone down the Lamelo Ball route or even the James Wiseman route. There's a lot of questions about Edwards' passion for the game. There was some quote where he mentioned that he can't watch basketball, which to me, okay, yes, it's important. He's going to have to understand the the value of watching film. But no one's ever won a championship because of their watching skills. So for me... <laughs> Yeah, he's going to need to obviously learn about the the scouting side of things. He's going to have to learn who he's playing and, and what makes them such a good player. But in terms of him as a player, look, he's had a lot of people comparing him to Dwayne Wade, presumably yeah. because of his size. But so much of what you read about him in the scouting reports reads as LeBron's would have. Explosive athlete, scary coming downhill at you, outstanding body control, can create and score off the dribble, etc. So the, the big He just doesn't him, have the LeBron size, of course. Well, exactly. So he's he's sort of got, yeah, kind of that skill set, but in Dwayne Wade's body. And interestingly enough, you know, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's 29% in his one year at Georgia. But have a guess who was a 29% three-point shooter in his rookie season. Uh, well, based on what you've said, LeBron James? LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you another one. Guess who was a 29% three-point shooter over his entire career until he retired recently? Oh, who Dwayne retired? Dwayne Wade. Oh, okay. There you go. So... It goes to show that being a 29% three-point shooter isn't necessarily the end of the world because those two guys had some pretty decent careers. I think I think some of the comments about him not loving the game are maybe a bit overblown. And I think from what I hear, he said all the right things otherwise. And so he maybe spoke out of turn that one occasion. But here's a question. What would you prefer? Someone who's supremely talented and athletic who doesn't love watching the game or someone who's an absolute junkie who loves watching the game but can't play defense, for example? Do you know what I mean? So Yeah, you'd rather them have the skill because at the end of the day, if you've got the right coaches in place, they can teach them a bit about the passion. He's playing with a team that maybe ha- doesn't have much of a winning attitude, but he's got Ricky Rubio now as a, as a point guard. So Ricky Rubio is a guy who nece- maybe necessarily hasn't had the, the greatest winning percentage in the league, but he is a winner over his time with the international team in Spain and, and through his time in Europe. So I think there's, there's enough there for them and enough in the coaching staff to give him that 
passion and and really explain to him the the reason for for watching this. you're right though that was one isolated statement amongst paragraphs and paragraphs of the right thing so yeah i think that was overplayed so sure you've also introduced the first of our trades there ricky rubio going back to the timberwolves the team where it all started for him and I like the trade for the Wolves. I think it's good to get a veteran in to play alongside Edwards and also D'Angelo Russell there too. So I actually like that deal for the Timberwolves. Yeah, Rubio was with OKC for all of about 45 minutes, I think, at one stage. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it's a really, really great trade for the Timberwolves. I mean, having a guy who who knows the organization, who knows the city as well, he's not coming in and trying to feel his way through a situation the way that someone might have if they hadn't been there before. So yeah, he's, he's definitely a really good voice to to have in that team. And he might be a really, really good, uh, good person to have as a complimentary piece to D'Angelo Russell as well. So, I mean, I don't think they're going to be a particularly amazing defensive team with D'Angelo Russell. He's just not really a defensive guy, but Look, he's certainly, he's a guy, certainly going back to Edwards quickly, he's a guy who can make a difference on the defensive end. He's not the most aware defender, but yeah, he'll certainly help. And, and Rubio's not too bad. He's not like the worst defender out there, I guess. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think Rubio is a, is a great pickup and I'm excited because it's a, a jersey that I can put back into the rotation now. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Golden State own Minnesota's uh, pick for next year, but it is protected. So there is a incentive for them to win enough games so that they're not shipping that pick over to Golden State as a part of that Wiggins deal. I suppose for me, the other really interesting one is the four-year $60 million deal that they threw at Malik Beasley. Bit of an overpay, don't you reckon? Yeah, I mean, he did show a lot of promise, as you mentioned last week. I think he was really happy with that deal until the Rubio trade happened <laughs> and his minutes yeah, have this, probably this dropped. Uh, but it's still and a lot of money, isn't it? So It is be... $15 million a year for a guy who's facing a felony charge as well for, for gun possession. I mean, that's not the kind of shooting guard you're supposed nah, to be like. like... Ding, ding. <laughs> I love it. Sorry. <laughs> no, perfect. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean... Like I agree entirely. Like, it, it's a it's a slight overpay. It's not it's not huge. I mean, I would have said somewhere around about the ten to twelve million dollars a year, but fifteen's just a bit too much. Just until he proves that he can be that twenty point a game guy for an entire season. It is a lot, isn't it? Yeah, I think it they is. might regret that one towards the back end. But he is young, so time will tell. Golden State they took James Wiseman with the second pick center again. Not a huge surprise, and we are massive fans. Yeah, look, I had been saying this for months now. If they could get a pick up high enough, they needed to go after Wiseman. I think he's just the absolute perfect pick for them. He's a center who'll rebound, he'll block shots, he'll finish at the rim. He cried when he got drafted, even though he was a guaranteed lottery pick, which tells you a lot about his attitude. It's just, yeah, for me, he was always that perfect guy. Interestingly enough, though, Golden State apparently tried to flip that number two pick to Chicago for Wendell Carter in the number four pick, which is a bit of a Hail Mary. So I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm not geez. really sure about uh, I that wish one. we got him. <laughs> it's no secret I'm a massive fan. I've actually only seen one game of his, and he didn't play a lot of games in college. But that game was enough to show me that this guy could be something really, really special. He's actually kind of a mix between Amari Stoudemire and Chris Bosch. Because he can dunk and defend like Amari, you know, great around that five-foot area around the rim. But he's also got a jumper on him. 
Now, hopefully he won't fall in love with it. And that does seem to be one of the knocks on him that he's maybe considers himself a little bit too much like David Robinson or Chris Bosch is the more recent comparison. Maybe he needs to stick around the rim a lot more, but geez, he's going to get a lot of cheap points playing on that exciting Golden State team. Yeah, I think you'll find that the coaching staff that they've got in Golden State will very, very quickly not so much discourage him, but they certainly will only want him taking maybe a couple of game. And if you look at the, the teams where David Robinson was shooting a lot of jump shots, it was because he had to. He didn't have a, a whole heap of support, whereas you've got Steph Curry, you've got, well, you you had Clay Thompson. You yeah, well, we've got to talk about that elephant in the room, don't we? That was huge news. And we certainly will. But, but yeah, I, I think just quickly before we move on to that, I honestly could not rate this pick highly enough. I, I think if there was an A++ grade, that's what it would get. Yeah, and I agree entirely about the Bosch and Stoudemire thing. I really hope he turns into more of a Stoudemire, quite frankly. And you can see why Minnesota didn't take him, obviously having Carl Anthony Towns. But the more time went on, the more I was actually talking myself into the fact that they might have should have tried that experiment. Uh, especially they, they do have some decent guards on that team. And Twin Towers has worked in the past. I know small ball has been a bit of a thing, but I'm kind of thinking small ball might be a flash in the pan and we might be moving more back to traditional ball. Time will mm. tell on that one. So you teased it, Nath. Let's uh, let's get on to the Clay Thompson injury and the result of that. Yeah, so news, I think it was happened just before the draft that he'd injured himself in training. And then a couple of days later, it came out that it was an Achilles. He now has back-to-back seasons of an ACL and an Achilles. His last year of his contract is over $40 million. He may now be the worst contract in the league. He's John Wall. It's sad, isn't it? Because he's an adored player by most, if not all of the NBA community and wow, you know, what an exciting and important part of that amazing championship run that they've had. It's kind of funny. It takes me back a little bit to the the days of us booing Andrew Gaze as 12 and 13 year olds where <laughs> we were too you know, young to because understand. He was, yeah. Because he was on such a successful team, you kind of almost wanted him to fail. But now that you're seeing this, like it is, it's really sad seeing a guy missing multiple years of his prime because of injury. And really big, significant injuries too. Yeah. And and what I'm this, hearing is the the window is closed in Golden State. Like, nah. It seems it seems extreme, but when you think that Draymond is on a massive contract and he didn't play as well last year, and who knows what Clay's going to come back from both an ACL and an Achilles. By the way, different legs, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe I, I even heard on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast that they should consider trading Steph while he has value. Oh, jeez, that's big. The thing is, with with Clay, okay, he's not going to be the same player that he was when he left, but he's still going to be an elite shooter. He's he's maybe not going to be quite the elite defender that he was, but he's still going to be a pretty handy defender. And the thing is, you've also got to look at the team that they've got. So you've got, obviously, Curry at the point. We'll get to this in a second, but they've brought in Kelly Oubre Jr. from Oklahoma City after he got traded from Phoenix. You've got Wiggins, you've got Draymond Green, and you've got Wiseman. That's still a very, very competitive starting five. Yeah, I, I would give it a, another go next season with him on the roster and kind of go from there to see how, how things are looking. I wouldn't give up on it either. Yeah. And I, and I must say, an absolute bargain for them getting Kelly Oubre Jr. for a, a 2021 first-round draft pick. It's which shock horror Oklahoma city stashing them away. Like a squirrel stashes nuts, basically. But I think it's a, it's a win for both teams. Oklahoma city is funny, isn't it? When, when during the draft, it would say team needs, team needs, team needs. And when OKC flashed on the board, it was like warm bodies basically is what it needed to say. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Like, yeah. 
but but I like their approach. I've got to say, you know, it's very much like the Philadelphia trust the process approach. The next two drafts are meant to be absolutely amazing. Why wouldn't you stockpile picks with those drafts coming up? Well, that's it. We'll, we'll talk about OKC a little bit later once we're uh, once we're through the the lottery picks. But yeah, definitely a a very very interesting discussion to be had. Their late picks are point guard Nico Mannion and Justinian Jessup, as you mentioned, who didn't even know he got picked. Our third pick can out someone we're familiar with, Stewie, to Charlotte, LaMelo Ball. <sighs> well, this is maybe one that I certainly I won't agree with a lot of the people out there. I'm not a big fan of LaMelo Ball. I, I can see him being a slightly bigger, slightly better version of Lonzo. And like, I'm the first to admit he's a superb playmaker. He's got a really tight handle. He sees oh, the floor sure well. Yeah. But he's going to be facing a much bigger, much higher quality type of defender than he did in the NBL. Like, you remember how Pat Beverly shoulder checked Lonzo in his first game? <laughs> yeah. Like, and he, and he can't shoot a lick. It, like, it's not as ugly a shot as Lonzo's was, but 25% from three on the NBL lines, which are shorter, and 37% overall. They're not exactly overflowing with shooters at the moment. Thankfully, Dwayne Bacon got sent to Orlando, so there's one less of them to worry about. But. Yeah, I might have seen what I could get for a, you know, for the pick in a trade personally. Initially, I wasn't a massive fan of his either, and I do have major misgivings about his maturity, but he is super young, but he doesn't come across great in the interview, I feel. I've heard that he is a bit of an introvert, and so maybe he's monosyllabic because he just doesn't like talking. So maybe that can be mistaken for a lack of maturity sometimes. He really improved as the NBL season wore on, and it is a pretty strong league by world standards. So numbers of 17 points, seven and a half rebounds, seven assists, and one and a half steals a game are pretty bloody good in the NBL. Shorter quarters, very physical. They're very good numbers for an 18-year-old. Most Aussies point guards will be very, very happy with those stats in our league. So I'm beginning to maybe believe a little bit more in him lately, to be honest. I, I do worry about his defense. He's super athletic. I think being on Charlotte is a really interesting thing with the Jordan ownership, of course. And now LeVar can have that one-on-one with uh, Michael, <laughs> obviously. So that'll be I've interesting to note, see. It's, it's so funny. So I've got a note here that said, did you notice how dejected LeVar Ball looked? You can almost see him thinking, <laughs> fuck, I've got to play MJ one-on-one now. <laughs> Do you know, they could probably put that on pay-per-view and shitloads of people would fork out the money. It'd probably be a real canny way to recoup some costs that they can't get from crowds. But, do you honestly um, think M- do you think MJ would lower himself to that? Like honestly, <laughs> no chance. I don't know if if it means that he can re-sign Lamelo or something. Who knows what will happen down the down sure. the road? But look, I think in a weakish draft, you know, I've heard people say that he might have been as low as pick ten next year, for example. His highlights are amazing. He sees the floor superbly well. I I just can't get that image out of my head of uh, when he was playing for Illawarra, where he's driven it dribbled it backwards behind his legs, then gone around the back. It was just, it's a beautiful play and it was shown in the draft coverage. You know, I'm sure it's the first thing you can find when you look up LaMelo Ball NBL highlights. So I, I have a bit more optimism than you do, I think, for LaMelo. But uh, yeah, time will tell on that one too. Look, I will say this. The, the big thing for a number three draft pick is, can he average those numbers in the NBA? And I'm saying, no, he can't. I, I, I think maybe the assists he might be able oh, to get. Oh, yeah, there. he won't get those rebounds. Well, definitely not it, straight away anyway. Exactly. And, and look, if he can average 17, 7, and 7 in the NBA, I will well and truly tip my hat to him and say, well done. He'd be a shortlisted oh, all-star with those numbers, I would imagine. Well, in the, yeah, in the East, he would, yeah. yeah. Look, the one big upside that I've heard that's kind of resonated with me a little bit, though, is that he's a name player. 
coming into the league already. So he's going to create intrigue, maybe puts bums on seats, so to speak, even if that's just virtually through league passes, that sort of stuff. Mm. The last guy that did that for Charlotte was maybe early years, Kemba Walker. And before that was probably someone like an Alonzo Mourning. So Charlotte haven't had a huge history of those sorts of guys. So that's probably one of the big upsides I can see early on. Oh yeah, definitely. And I would put him ahead of Kemba Walker as far as the name. I mean, I know Kemba Walker was on a UConn championship team. But yeah, I, I think I think you're right. He might be the biggest name that they've had since Alonso and LJ were running around for the Hornets back mm. in the mid-90s. Now, I suppose we should get to the elephant in the room as far as Charlotte's concerned. The Gordon Hayward four-year $120 million deal. Yeah, Who in their big... right mind, who, like, who offers him $30 million a year, much less a four-year deal? You'd have to think that they're trying to establish more of a winning culture, I guess. There's probably more incentive to win now. They know that they're not going to be super great for a few years, probably. Maybe they're just bringing him in for that veteran presence. Maybe they feel like he has something to prove. Obviously, his time at Boston was a bit disappointing. He went to join uh, Stevens there, his old college coach. Unfortunately, got injured like six minutes into his first game. Didn't really work out because of the guys they've drafted since. He maybe didn't fit in as well as he did initially. So, look, I like the move for Charlotte. They probably had to throw the money somewhere. So he's a bit of made of glass. So as long as he can stay healthy, I think it's an okay deal. I would have liked to see them. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen somewhere around about the 20 to 22 million a year. I think 30 is too much for a guy that has a a proven track record of breaking down. And I honestly Mm. wouldn't be surprised if he broke down halfway through the season. Well, it won't look good if that happens. That's for sure. It definitely will not. At pick four, Chicago. Now, this was the first surprise of the night. Patrick Williams, small forward from Florida. Yeah, a bit of a head scratcher. We'll we'll take a second to look at the positives for it. He's a super athletic guy. He's got really good length. I know Jade Billis was frothing over a six foot 11 wingspan. Um, (laughs) Really great defender on or off ball. He challenges and changes shots as much as he blocks them. The big positive situation wise is that Billy Donovan's good with young guys. So even though he never started a game in college, and he doesn't have much of a jump shot. He's a bit slow in his in his release because it's a set shot. He's got a chance. I, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to be an all-star guy, but yeah, it's, it's not a particularly stacked draft. So I guess maybe they wanted to try and take a flyer. There's a lot of talk about him being an OG Ananobi type. So um, they probably could have traded down to get him. Well, that's a the thing. Pick, but... Yeah, that's that's exactly it. If, if they did have their heart set on him, they probably could have got him around 10, 11, who knows? So it's a bit of a head scratcher. But Jay Williams, to his credit, in the pre-draft uh, show, did say that watch for Patrick Williams to rise quickly. So he nailed and that one. Worst- Worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out, then yeah, he can go and work with the events team and do all the flower arrangements. <laughs> yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? We did get some stories from the, uh, as we do during the draft of, you know, the, the human elements added. They're not just, you know, video game players or anything like that. They are human beings. And he made a bit of money working, I think, for his mum as a, a, her, her florist, was it? Yep. Gee, it's a shame they don't have Derek Rose anymore. <laughs> Exactly. Could have maybe got Jalen Rose to come out. Exactly. Of the time yeah, as well. that's right. They could have got him on they the bench as an assistant coach. Yeah, make a bouquet. I will just quickly mention though the 44th pick they had, which was Marco Simonovic. 
he actually looks like a pretty decent stretch four option off the bench. Really nice three-point shot. It kind of, it, I say it's a nice three-point shot. It looks a bit like Matthew Dellavedova's, but it, it's much more effective. He he runs really well. He, like he does really good rim runs. Um, he probably just needs to get a bit bigger and stronger. So I actually like him as a second-round pick more than I liked their first-round pick. He's listed as a center, so it'll be interesting to see where he plays in the NBA. He's quite light, isn't he? So he, mm, he probably, centers probably, probably a, power a stretch. Forward. Yeah, yeah. At the fifth pick, Cleveland, the man that Jay Billis said was the most impressive defender in the entire draft, Isaac Okuro, a small forward. Yeah, the best wing defender in the draft as far as I saw. He's got amazing hops. He's going to block shots. He's going to finish in transition. He doesn't have a consistent shot yet, but you know who else was a great athletic defender with an inconsistent jump shot when Cleveland drafted him? Yeah, well, I was thinking of Kawhi as well, but yeah, of course, LeBron. Yeah, he had no no jump shot when he came into the league. That's oh, right. I, I was I was meaning Jamario Moon. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I thought, kidding. I thought he, he, never, I thought he started he, his he career never, in he, Toronto. There you go. Yeah, he never he never got drafted actually. But anyway, oh, there you go. But no, look, I don't know really what else Cleveland could have done with the pick. So it's it's probably not a bad pick they maybe probably wish they knew that Tristan Thompson was going to bolt before they selected a small forward but um well was Thompson playing much last year anyway though well not really but it it still would have been nice but um but no he's got huge upside this guy and if you can develop a decent jump shot it's it's really one of these guys that could be one of the best players in this draft just quickly before we move on to this, the Atlanta Hawks, what do you reckon about the, the the trade for the Lakers? So JaVale McGee coming across for Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney. Yeah, well, I guess it's replacing Tristan Thompson, really, isn't it? But it's a bit, I mean, it's not it's not a needle-moving trade, really, is it? Well, if anything, I think it's actually quite useful for the Lakers getting Jordan Bell, getting a nice youngster at, at 25. The He's Lakers have done very season. well this offseason. Very they, well. They have. Dare I say it, though, we might see a repeat of the finals with JaVale McGee sitting on Cleveland's bench almost exclusively instead of the Lakers. <laughs> they won't be playing in the finals, though, that's for sure. <laughs> mm, true, true. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? The bloody hell this week comes from 1984 of all times. And in keeping with the NBA draft theme, I actually wanted to talk about a story of arguably the greatest missed opportunity in the history of the NBA. Oh, do tell. And I'm, yeah, it's not the one a lot of people know about where Portland Trailblazers draft Sam Bowie from Kentucky basically ended up being a massive bust, was picked ahead of Jordan, goes on to break his leg about 400 times and be nothing more than a serviceable backup big man. <laughs> Fuck, he even broke his leg during a warm-up in an exhibition game in 87. So that's, that's how bad it was for him. Made of glass. But no, that's not the story. So the story actually belongs to the Houston Rockets. So 1984 was the last season the NBA used the coin flip to see which of the worst teams in the East and West would get number one. The Rockets were 14 and 68 the previous season. Indiana were 20 and 62, but they'd actually traded their pick to Portland previously for a guy named Tom Owens. Mm. Played one average season for Indiana, averaging 10 and 5, and then moved on to Detroit and then buggered off to Italy. So Indiana could have actually had Jordan as well. Wow. But according to Hakeem Olajuwon and a number of other sources, Portland were that desperate for a center that they offered Houston Clyde Drexler, who had been previously picked the year before, and the number two pick in the 84 draft for reigning rookie of the year, Ralph Sampson. Mm. Now, Sampson was a great player. Oh, he was. For about three... About three years. Yeah. Then he was a good player for four years. And then he was just shit for four. So, <laughs> And he was last time I class checked, too, hey? He, well, he wasn't amazing. And look, last time I checked, Drexler and Jordan did slightly better than him. 
<laughs> but the Rockets passed on the deal. Imagine that's, that. That's incredible. Houston, Houston could have had Clyde Drexler, Hakeem Olajuwon with the number one pick, and Michael Jordan with the number two pick, and arguably the greatest trio in the history of the game. They could have won seven or eight championships. Oh, that would have been amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's hard to trade a rookie of the year, isn't it? I mean, everything's 2020 in hindsight, but jeez. But no, for missing arguably the greatest trio in the history of the game in favour of Ralph Sampson, all I can say is, what are you doing? <laughs> Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Atlanta's another interesting one, Stewie. They got a nice centre in on Yeka Okongwu, uh, but they also had some pretty big transactions in the free agency too. Yeah, some huge signings. So they've signed Rajon Rondo, Danilo Gallinari, Chris Dunn, and then just recently Bogdan Bogdanovich to a four-year $72 million offer sheet. So... I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll start off, I guess, with the draft. So Okongwu, I guess, is just what the Hawks need. And another center, which gave them, I think, 36 centers on their roster at that stage. Um, (laughs) Dwayne Dedman's been sent off to Detroit, which helps a little bit. But when they've already got Clint Capella, I'm not sure why they didn't take Tyrese Halliburton. This would have been a really, really great opportunity to have him. Um, I mean, I guess maybe Trey Young. They felt like he couldn't coexist with Trey Young, maybe. Yeah, I, look, it's an interesting one I, I, for me. And that that's funnily enough, what I'd sort of said was they do have Trey Young. They've got Rajon Rondo now. Yeah. Um, they did get rid of Jeff Teague now. He's gone off to Boston. But um, yeah, Chris Dunn was a weird one for me. I wasn't sure why they got him. Oh, backup will play five minutes probably. Mm, true. But yeah. uh, but no, I look, I love the pickup of Gallinari. I love the pickup of Bogdanovich. It adds a lot of scoring and three-point shooting. Doesn't add much defense, but... You know, they're going to be a really fun, high-scoring team to watch. Funny Vince Carter had stayed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I wanted Vince to play until he was 100, quite frankly. <laughs> and the interesting thing about Okongru is that he has almost identical vital statistics to Bam Adebayo in Miami. So height, wingspan, weight, age, very, very similar. So if he can have the start of a career that Bam's had, or even half of that, I think he'll, he'll be going all right. And you wonder if Collins is the odd man out now in the big man stocks. Oh, I hope not, because I really like the Trey Young-Collins pick and roll. I really do. Yeah. I, dare I, yeah, I worry that Capella might actually be the odd man out. Yeah, well, I mean, it, they do have some some decent bigs that might be good trade chips down the line. But I think you're yes. right. They could be an interesting team. Mm. Uh, look, I think I, I expect them to be really pushing for around about the, the sixth seed in the, in the East with that lineup. Yeah, sounds reasonable. At seventh, we had Killian Hayes, our first international player as far as not playing college is concerned. This is another one. I'm not entirely sold on him. I mean, I'm hearing some really interesting reports from a number of different people. He's he's a subpar shooter, 27% on threes across his three seasons in Europe, which unfortunately is becoming more and more important for these guys coming through. He's a really high IQ guy. He's got great court vision. So maybe he can be a Jason Kidd pass first sort of point guard. Interestingly enough, though, do you know who else was a 27% three-point shooter in his rookie season? Well, going on form from your previous hints, Jason Kidd. That's Ace and Kidd, as they called him back then. With <laughs> yes. No Jay. Yes. So, yeah. And look, yeah. Hayes has got a much nicer release than Kidd ever had. So he he's got nice form. He just kind of needs to work on the consistency. He's already mastered the hardened step-back travel as well. So he's sort of got a little bit of that going for him. I was actually really, really impressed, though, by their other two signings. So Isaiah Stewart, 
um, who, well, I was impressed with that signing before they got Mason Plumley and Jalil Okafor and Jeremy Grant. So their, their big man stocks are absolutely huge now with Drummond and Blake Griffin as well. So oh, it's really going to, I don't know how those pieces are going to fit together. I really don't, unless there's more on the way, because they also got Sadiq Bay, who a lot of people think could be quite a good player. And another that big was exactly it. Like Sadiq Bay, I think he will be one of the steals of the draft. He's an elite three-point shooter, really quick release. He's going to give him a massive boost off the bench. And he's sneaky athletic as well. That was something that didn't come up a lot, but he's he's got pretty decent ups as well. So there seem to be Detroit... so many athletic bigs in the draft, didn't there? There were there were all a the lot, footage. Yeah. yeah they were yeah, and, yeah. and you just wonder if this had been 10 years ago, they all would have been lottery picks, but they were taken late in the first round. Yep. I think it's safe to say Detroit absolutely nailed the draft. Not so sold on what they've done. Like, I think Killian Hayes will be good. I, I just, I'm not sold on him right now. It's probably well, more what I'm saying. So. Kevin O'Connor thinks he has the highest ceiling of any player in the entire draft. He was very bullish on him. So if he's yeah, right, then well, they've he, done very well. He does have a very high ceiling. <laughs> Unfortunately for me, though, I think, yeah, what the problem for Detroit will be will be a lot of these signings that they've made since then. Ah, uh, Stewie at number eight. This one's an interesting one. Obi Toppin, New York Knicks power forward. I absolutely love this pick. I really do. This is a, another one of those sort of Kenyon Martin, Amari Stoudemire sort of guys. He is an excitement machine. So without overdoing that comparison, as I said, like he's he's very much that Amari Stoudemire sort of guy. He's going to be a cult hero in New York. He's born and raised in Brooklyn. So he's New York through and through. He's No really shortage humble. of big, big dunks, that's for sure. He's, yeah, exactly. So a lot of people are questioning his defensive skills, but he's got Tibbs as a coach. So, you know, he's going to learn. And I, I just, I love the fact that, that he's just, got so much energy and so much enthusiasm which is kind of why i made that kenyon martin sort of reference before i mean he's he's a chance to really help turn around what has been a pretty bleak run of new york <laughs> draft picks i mean if you're going back a couple of years i'll just give you a very quick rundown of a few of them kevin knox in 2018 was a bust um, ahead of gilgis alexander and porter jr frank and tilakina a bust ahead of donovan mitchell and bam out of bio oh, 26 2016, they didn't have a first rounder. They traded to Denver, which ended up being Jamal Murray. Oh. Uh, yeah, not not great. They, Iman Shumpert in 2011, they took him ahead of Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. This mm. uh, is not good reading, is it? Wow. Uh, there's a couple more as well. 2010, no first rounder traded to Utah, Gordon Hayward. Mm. Uh, Jordan Hill in 2009 was a bust ahead of DeMar DeRozan and Drew Holiday. Probably one of the biggest ones, though, Nene Hilario in 2002. They traded him immediately with Marcus Camby and Mark Jackson for Antonio McDyess, the 25th pick, a guy named Frank Williams, who played a total of 86 games in, in his career, and a second rounder in 2003, which was Marciej Lampe, who played mm. 64 games in his career, none with the Knicks. Yep. McDyess hurt his knee in 2002 and played 18 games for New York total. Yeah. Um, they did manage to flip him for Stefan Marbury and got a few good years out of him. But And it's got to yeah. be said, he did have a good early career in Denver. He was a pretty exciting player, so they weren't to know that he was to get injured. But gee, that's not a good track record, is it? It's not great. It's not great. Oh, so ouch. I really hope that Barrett and Toppin can start this trend of the Knicks drafting well. It's good for the league if the Knicks are competitive. And I'm one of those guys that's like, hmm, mid-major, Atlantic 10, pretty shitty competition. So yeah. 
he dominated crappy players, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just quickly before we move on to the Wizards now as well, just a couple of other ones that that I, I sort of wanted to mention in terms of signings. They've picked up Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, but the, the interesting one for me was a three-year, $10 million contract for Austin Rivers. Now, I'm not a huge fan of him, but, geez, he's selling himself short. That sounds like a bargain, doesn't it? Jeez. It really is. He's a guy mm. that will give them a decent boost off the bench, and I think he's worth a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I knew he'd gone there. I didn't realize it was that cheap. That's a bargain. Mm, it is. At number nine, the Washington Wizards selected Denny Advia. Another one of the players that's I was hoping the Spurs might get. That's the Washington basketball team to you. Yes. I nearly went there. I didn't this week. <laughs> yeah. Look, again, I love this pick for Washington. Really nicely sized playmaker. He's a good finisher around the rim. He's got some really unique release points as well. The only place he doesn't shoot well from is the line, which is probably something he needs to work on. But he's a solid defender. He times block shots really well. I've seen comparisons with Hito Turkoglu, which would be pretty good value for the Knights pick in a draft like this. So, um, I reckon he's got a better handle and better decision-making and passing than Hito. I think he could be quite a good player. There's a number of other people saying he might end up having the high ceiling in this draft too. So I think that's a good pick for Washington. Could it maybe be somewhere between Hedo and Luka Doncic, maybe? Yeah, well, hey, they'd be happier with that, wouldn't they? Jeez. Mm, they would. They would. Mm. And unlike Anthony Edwards, he seems to be a player that does love the game. So he would play at every opportunity he could. So I think he's a really good pick for Washington. As I said, I was hoping the Spurs might get him. And I think probably with the Washington Wizards, we'll have a little bit more to talk about from them in the next few weeks. There's a lot of talk about a Russell Westbrook for John Wall trade. John Wall is not happy. So and Brad definitely Beals watch room it yeah, often as well. Watch, watch this space. Indeed. Number 10, Phoenix selected Jalen Smith, another guy that probably was maybe a bit of a reach. Yeah, he's a decent big. I mean, I didn't understand this on a team that had DeAndre Ayton, Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, and Dario Saric, but Baines is now headed to the Tampa Bay Raptors. So, um, so I guess he's a <laughs> on one money of four too. bigs. Yes, very decent money. So, yeah. but yeah, this is another one where if you're really set on the guy, trade down and pick him in like eighteen to twenty, maybe get another asset with him. He's got a good jump shot on him. He's by all accounts an awesome kid who puts the team first. He's just not a lottery pick guy. The biggest news in Phoenix, though, Stewie, of course, is not the draft at all. It's the transactions they made outside of the draft. Yeah, definitely the signing of Damian Jones was the big one. <laughs> uh, no, look, it's it's got to be obviously the big trade with Chris Paul and Abdul Nader coming across from OKC for Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre Jr., Ty Jerome, Jalen LeCue, and a 2022 first-round draft pick. Chris Paul obviously had a superb, superb season last year for OKC. I know he's he's not a guy that a lot of people like unless he's on your team, but the shortened season really suited him well. And his shooting compared to Rubio's is going to open up the lanes, takes a bit of pressure off Devin Booker. They probably didn't want to give up Oubre, but you know Paul's contract, obviously they had to give up someone like that. So, um, And it's also going to open up a lot of cap space in 2022 when you've got free agents like Harden, Durant, Curry, James, Beal, Walker, Butler, Leonard, George, Irving. Like, it's huge. Big year. Yeah, yeah. Huge yep. year. Phoenix very much trending up and could be quite an exciting team next season, but quite a competitive team in the coming seasons. Uh, Mike and Tony on PTI, Mike always says that Phoenix are two years away from being two years away. I think they might finally be two years away. Yeah, I think they are. At number 11, my Spurs selected Devin Vassell, shooting guard. I initially didn't know how to feel about the pick when I read about need, needs improvement. It seemed to be a bloody long list. But 
seeing some highlights, hearing the analysis, it actually seems to be a great pick. And and some people, Kevin O'Connor says he's the best defender in the draft. So I'm quite happy with this pick for the Spurs, actually. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned defense. That is one of the big issues. The Spurs, who were traditionally an amazing defensive team, they've dropped dramatically in recent years. They were 25th or worst in points allowed, assists allowed, defensive rebounding, field goals allowed, three-pointers allowed, three-point percentage allowed, turnovers, and defensive rating. So not really great. If you pair him with someone like DeJounte Murray, that may may help because, yeah, Vassal definitely one of the top couple of wing defenders in in, in the draft. So, um, And he's a really good three-point shooter as well. He was an elite 41% from his career. I think it's a really, really solid pick for the Spurs. I, I think he really could have gone in the top 10. Yeah, well, that's very much a 3 and D guy. He can actually shoot that three ball. And I think you're right. Our backcourt is going to be extremely good defensively with Murray, Vassal, and also Derek White as well. And then Lonnie Walker's very athletic too. So we've got a lot of really good young guards. It's our bigs I'm a bit worried about. I also like the second round pick, Trey Jones with a 41st pick. He had the best assist to turnover ratio in Duke history. And his brother Tyus actually had the best in the NBA last year. So, um, but yeah, he was listed as the best on-ball defensive guard in the draft. So the Spurs have really drafted well with regards to prioritizing defense. And whenever you're talking about Duke history, that's a pretty storied history. So that's a very impressive stat. Yeah, it really is. What were your thoughts on them getting rid of Bryn Forbes or I guess letting him go? Oh, well, given these two picks, I can understand why he wants to chase a ring in Milwaukee. I liked Bryn. He's a great spot-up three-point shooter. I wish him all the best and I hope he has success in Milwaukee and our guard stocks are good. So I think that's win-win for both parties, really. I don't have a problem with that. I certainly would have rather see him leave than overpay for him. So I'm I'm not too worried about that one. And now... This week in sport history. November 23, 2018, Brooke Lopez sets a record for the most three-point field goals attempted without a single make in a game, with 12 in a two-point loss to the Phoenix Suns, breaking the previous record of 11 held by Steph Curry, Trey Burke, and Antoine Walker. Lopez was actually a 37% shooter from three at that point of the season, but after his first one rimmed out, he missed another three to be 0 of 4 in less than four minutes. The Suns closed the game on an 8-0 run, punctuated by a tough foul line jumper for the win by Jamal Crawford. Not a great night for Brooke. November 24th, 1949, Don Otten sets a record for the most personal fouls in a game with eight in a loss to the Redskins. Now, most people will never have heard of Don Otten. He's a crazy guy for random facts. He played for the Tri-City Blackhawks, who we've mentioned a couple of times on those funny name lists. They were basically the predecessors of the Atlanta Hawks. And when he says Redskins, he does mean basketball, not football, of course, too. Yes, this is very, very true. This is another one of those random teams from the from the 40s and 50s. I did not realize there was a Redskins in the NBA at one stage. There was. I think it was Sheboygan from memory. Uh, um, of course. The Sheboygan Redskins. Um, but he had arguably the worst MVP season of all time. So in the 1948-49 NBL season, yes, it was called the NBL back then, or certainly one of the leagues was, Otten's averaged 14 points a game. Now, they didn't keep other stats at the time, but he actually won the league MVP that year with averages of 14. Now, the only player I've, I've seen in NBA history who averaged less points a game was Wes Unzel, but he averaged 18 rebounds a game as well, and he led the Bullets to the best record in the league. So that was kind of crazy. Anyway, in this game, though, the Blackhawks actually ran out of players who were eligible to play. So when Otten committed his sixth foul, he stayed on and had another two, finishing with a total of eight personal fouls, something that is very unlikely to ever be matched. 
Yeah, sure is. Speaking of things unlikely to be matched, November 24, 1960, Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain of the Philadelphia Warriors pulled down 55 rebounds in a 132-129 loss to the Boston Celtics, breaking Bill Russell's record of 51 set earlier that year. So how are these for some crazy stats? Chamberlain also had 34 points in the game, so it was a 30-50 game. But there have also been seven quadruple (laughs) double-doubles. Yeah, to, to explain that one, it's a game with 40 points and, and 40 rebounds as opposed to basically a 10, like 10 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists and 10 blocks, that sort of thing. So it's a bit of an unusual one. It sure is. All of those seven belong to Wilt and he had three more games where he was one rebound shy and another where he was one rebound and one point shy. He also has a 58.42 rebound game against Detroit in his rookie season and a 78.43 rebound game in a triple overtime loss to the Lakers. Elgin Baylor counted with 63 points and 31 rebounds of his own, and Jerry West had a 32-point triple-double. Crazy times. We do need to remember, though, that Wilt used to goaltend his teammates' shots. So Very true. A lot of easy points there. The, the stats and the numbers in the 60s were just unreal sometimes. Oh, they sure were. They really were. November 27th, 2002, the Denver Nuggets set the record for the fewest points in the first quarter of a game with just three in a 99-68 loss to your San Antonio Spurs. Mm. The Spurs led 21-3 at quarter time, and things were that bad for the Nuggets that their leading scorer, Jawan Howard, went 0-8 for, for zero points in 28 minutes. No starter for the Nuggets had more than five points, and that was their team's second-leading second scorer for the year in James Posey. So mm. not a great game for the Nuggets. And then finally, November 29, 2017, Ben Simmons sets a world record for most three-throw attempts in a quarter with 24 in a win over the Wizards. Simmons would go 15 for 29, not quite the results you would hope using a hackershack method, albeit about 50%. The 76ers would attempt a staggering 64 free throws, which was still miles short of the record of 86 by the Syracuse Nationals in a quintuple overtime win over the Anderson Packers. Amazingly, every single player for both sides attempted at least one free throw, and nine of the 10 players for Anderson committed six or more fouls or more. Syracuse weren't much better with six of their 10 players sitting out on six fouls at the end of the game because players could continue to play after fouling out back then. I think there were a couple of the Anderson players who had seven fouls in that game. So yeah, the, the number of fouls was just absolutely ridiculous. This week in sport history. At 12th pick, now this one was a bit of a surprise too. Tyrese Halliburton to Sacramento. He seemed to drop quite a bit. Absolutely one of the steals of the draft for me. I still think he should have gone to Atlanta at six. Probably wins MVP in terms of the suit as well for the flower suit. (laughs) Yeah, he should have gone to Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, he and Patrick Williams will get along really well, actually. (laughs) He's an elite playmaker, really good size. Probably needs to put on a few pounds of muscle, but... Oh, yeah, he's very thin. Very Yeah, he does have a really weak-looking release on his three-point shot. But no, look, I, I really like the look of him. It's going to be an interesting team, though, with Bogdanovich leaving. It's definitely De'Aaron Fox's team. Marvin Bagley becomes incredibly important this year as well. Uh, This could be a really tough year for the Kings, and I guess Halliburton will get plenty of opportunities. As you mentioned, Bogdanovich gone. They could be another lottery team yet again. But De'Aaron Fox is staying, so there's some stability. At 13th pick, New Orleans, Kira Lewis Jr., that point, what do you say about him? Speed, 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 speed. He is quick. Really good on the drive. Pretty decent pull-up game. 36% three-point shooter. Solid playmaker. He's not a bad replacement for Drew Holiday when you sort of partner him with Eric Bledsoe. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the addition of Stephen Adams kind of makes up for losing Jalil Okafor and Derek Favors, who went back to Utah. 
He's an upgrade on Jaleel Okafor, Stephen Adams. That, I really oh, like well that and move. Tr- well and truly. That's a really good move for the Pelicans. The Pelicans will be much improved. They really should be a playoff team next season. You would think so. And then finally, in the lottery, 14th pick, Boston. Could be another steal. Aaron Nesmith, small forward. Absolutely. Probably the purest of pure shooters. Quick release. Went 60 of 115 from three, 52% last year. Not a huge sample size, only 14 games. But, you know, he's a, he's a very, very solid shooter. Definitely not an amazing ball handler. He'll probably need to work on that a lot to blow by NBA caliber players. But at worst, he's a guy you can't sag off, which helps the likes of Kemba Walker, Tatum and Brown getting into the lane. I actually wonder if he couldn't turn into maybe a Chris Middleton light sort of player. So I definitely like the look of him and geez, they got lucky getting rid of Gordon Hayward. God bless GM Michael Jordan. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, you're right. I think they'll be glad to be uh, out of that contract and they played, he he, he was very good for them, but they still played very well without him and they can still make the finals without him. I think. Definitely. Definitely. And look, Peyton Pritchard, not a bad pickup as well. I, I don't have a, a whole heap of information on him, but by all accounts, he was another steal at 26. It, it's a pretty good period by the season, and they've very much kind of got a, a a good core, and they've added a couple of nice veterans in Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson. They're going to be definitely right there or thereabouts again. So, Stuart, you'd give an A to the Cs? Oh, well, well, you know, maybe not an A, probably, probably a B plus. Fair enough. But I know, I know where you're going with there. I'm trying to avoid it. So, yeah, I guess the Celtics are maybe a good stepping stone into some of the more interesting non-lottery teams who have made some noise. We probably should start with one of the championship favorites who's been very, very busy in the Milwaukee Bucks. And not, not outside of controversy too. So initially they had a deal involving Bogdan Bogdanovich before free agency even began, which included a sign and trade. Uh, which would have been against the rules. So that's that's a bizarre one, isn't it? Yeah, but look, as they said on the ringer, let's not pretend like this doesn't happen all the time. I mean, oh, yeah, how of many course. of these, they're, they're announced a minute after the, the trade period starts. I mean, you can't tell me that these guys are able to do deals that quickly. They've been talking about this stuff for a week beforehand. It's just Milwaukee got caught, basically. Oh, absolutely. And I heard on the Duncan and Hollinger podcast as well, John Hollinger, who used to work for the Grizz, he says every team does it. And if you don't do it, you're left, you know, throwing a shitload of money at a guy who's worth not even half of that. So everyone does it, but you've got to be smart about it. And they were not smart about it at all. Nope. I mean, a lot of, I suppose if we look at the players, obviously they're not getting Bogdanovich, he's going to Atlanta, but a lot, of, a lot of big moves here. So they've lost Wesley Matthews. They've lost Robin Lopez. They've lost Sterling Brown. But they've picked up Tory Craig from Denver, Bryn Forbes from San Antonio, DJ Augustine from Orlando, Bobby Portis from New York, and the big one, Drew Holiday from the New Orleans Pelicans. They gave up George Hill and Darius Miller and a protected first-round draft pick for that. But, yeah, it's look, I think they gave up a little bit too much for Holiday, but I like a lot of their signings that they've made around him. Yeah, so initially the deal was Hill and Eric Bledsoe and three first-rounders for Drew Holiday, which is like a king's ransom. You would have thought you were getting bloody Steph Curry for that. So, yeah, in the end, they gave away a little bit less to get Drew, and I think they'll be very happy about that because I don't see Drew as a major, major upgrade on Hill and Bledsoe. They're, They're all very similar players. Yeah, I mean, he's. I'd say he's. He's definitely a better player. He's. He's certainly not straight ahead. But uh, Bledsoe actually ended up going to New Orleans as part of that package, so he, he did actually end up leaving. Mm. 
So, yeah, I, look, I think Milwaukee will have a slightly better roster and certainly the, those role players that I mentioned. I like Tory Craig, such a great young 3 and D guy replacing Wesley Matthews. They're, they're definitely all of their signings, I think, were upgrades. It's just whether they can mesh, you know, having such so many players that are new. It is a lot of new guys to work in when you're trying to chase a championship. And by the way, Janus has about a month to sign that extension. So we'll know pretty soon whether or not he'll be getting that Supermax and whether he'll be staying in Milwaukee long-term, I think. Yep. So from one contender for the championship to another, the Lakers have been very, very busy in the first week. Oh, yeah. Rich get richer, that's for sure. So I guess I'll rattle off a few of them. In certain, certainly in terms of outgoing players, Avery Bradley, Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, Decent players for them, but certainly not as good as the guys they're getting. So Wesley Matthews is certainly a cheaper version of Danny Green, who also left in that uh, in one of those trades earlier on that we spoke about. Montrez Harrell signed to, from the Clippers for a two-year, $19 million deal. Yeah, that was a great pickup. Sixth man of the year, Stewie. Well, yeah, arguably the second best sixth man in the league, <laughs> definitely. Um, they, Sorry, uh, they too, certainly... No, no, that's fair enough. They also picked up, in my opinion, the best six man in basketball in uh, in Dennis Schroeder in the pick that that sent Danny Green across. Um, mm-hmm. They've just signed Marcus Soule from the Raptors on a two year deal today, and they're getting Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney for McGee, which we spoke about earlier. They Honestly, almost have too many players, don't they? Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of bigs. Not not Marcus Soule will have to have modest minutes. I would, you'd have to assume Harrell will get more minutes than Gasol, and Davis obviously will be playing 40 a night or so. I think you'll find that Harrell's going to play a lot of the four. I think they'll, they'll have to move him across. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know that he'll be able to play yeah, with, with Gasol. They, they have, I mean, Gasol's a decent stretch five anyway, so um, Harrell obviously will be a lot more inside there. Look, the Lakers have definitely improved on last year's roster. They oh, just need that signature. Yeah, they just need that signature from AD now, and all is good. Yeah, and he's he's coming back. Everyone knows he's coming back. The Lakers are better than the team that won the championship on paper, definitely. He's not he's not coming back until the signature's down, but I believe he will. Oh yeah, he is. He's he's not Bogdan Bogdanovich. Now I guess we move down the tunnel at uh, Staples Center to the Clippers, who haven't had a particularly great first week. In, in contrast to the Lakers, they've lost Mo Harkless, Montrez Harrell, Jermichael Green's gone to Denver. They lost Landry Shaman in a trade that brought in Luke Kennard, who um. A bit iffy on. Apparently, they were really high on Shamit too. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure why they traded him away. They did sign Serge Ibaka, but for me, losing three key pieces of your front court who were 26, 27, and 30 and replacing them with a 31-year-old, they just don't look as scary as they were last year. And dare I say overpaying for Marcus Morris too. Yes, very much so. I think it was a four-year 64 mil or something like that. So, And they don't yeah. have a lot of draft picks coming up over the next few years and both Paul and Kawhi can piss off at the end of next season. So the Clippers could be in mediocrity land for decade to come. And as an OKC fan, that's all I'm hoping for. Yeah, yeah. You're hoping that they have a pretty poor record. They won't have a poor record. I still think they'll be top four in the West, but geez, those stars can bail. Mm, hopefully they do. <laughs> So moving from LA to the Portland Trailblazers, another team who will be hoping to contend for the Western Conference Finals this year. So they've picked up Derek Jones Jr. from Miami. Harry Giles has come across from Sacramento. Three-team deal between Boston and Memphis as well, managed to get them Ennis Cantor back. And the big one for them, they picked up Robert Covington from Houston for Trevor Ariza and two future first-round draft picks. So they basically gave up Mario Hazonia for Jones, Cantor, and Covington. They are coming this year, I'm telling you. You slotted Danilo Gallinari there as a potential. I actually like Covington more than Danilo in that team. So yeah, I agree. Like they they have improved a lot and they could. I don't think they will, 
I think they'll be more like fifth or sixth, but they could very well be in the Western Conference Finals, no doubt. Yeah, Covington obviously gives them a much better defensive presence. He shoots the ball fairly well, certainly close to as well as Gallinari does uh, from deep as well. So, yeah, I, I really like the way this Portland team has been constructed. And if Lillard and McCollum can stay healthy, as as can Nurkic as well, I think they're going to be there or thereabouts. Mm. And then another team who, again, will probably feel like they should be contending as well. There's so many teams out in the West that, that will feel good about themselves. The Dallas Mavericks. Now, they drafted a really interesting guy for us. In the 18th pick, they took Josh Green. Who yeah, is they an sure Aussie, did. Uh, yeah. Aussie born and bred. Uh, he's an elite defender, six foot ten wingspan for a 6'6 guy, above average shooter, really versatile in his abilities. Still a bit raw, but he's got a huge upside. And I think him working with Josh Richardson, who is a fairly reasonable comparison to him, actually, that he could develop really, really quickly. He's also a massive Sydney Swans fan too, Stewie. And he actually played in the GWS Academy. He started playing AFL footy. His family moved to the States. There was no AFL to be played there. So that's what put him in basketball. A move to the States. We might might have seen him running around for the Giants otherwise. Jeez, he dodged a bullet there, didn't he? <laughs> but I really like the pick. I think it's great. For, like we needed another excuse to watch Dallas games. He looks super athletic. I'm optimistic about him and look forward to seeing him in a Boomers jersey soon too. And then just the other one very quickly, the 31st pick. This is another one that Kevin O'Connor is very, very big on. Tyrell Terry had a look at some uh, some highlights of him today. Real sharpshooter, over 40% from deep, nearly 90 at the line as well. He's really, really slim though. He's about 160 pounds, which is about 72 kilos. All I could think about was the old Bruce Reed get out the sticky tapes, Chewie. He, he looked like you could snap him in half. <laughs> True, true. But no, look, considering how small he is, he finishes pretty well through contact. He's probably a bit of a project in that regard, but he'll be one of those spark plug sort of guys off the bench in limited minutes. And the only other really interesting thing about uh, the Mavericks was what the board said that they needed with the 18th pick, which was a healthy Chris Stapps Porzingis. Yeah. I don't know if that was available. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious, wasn't it? Yeah. They can select health really with was. their draft pick. Yeah. Health. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder last because, well, that's where they're going to finish this year after basically gutting the entire <laughs> entire roster. Oh, they'll struggle so to have warm the bodies, players, mate. Yeah, we're looking at who they've lost from last season. So Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Stephen Adams, Danilo Gallinari, Terrence Ferguson, Nerlens Noel, and Abdul Nader. Seven uh, of our top 11 players. Yeah. Exactly. So basically our starting five is going to be Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Al Horford, and three future first-round draft picks. Hmm. Not yep. good. It should bring over Cam Oliver from Cairns, I reckon. Uh, he's re-signed. Yeah, I know. But he, he, I mean, everyone in the NBL has an out clause. He should definitely be in the NBA. Sure. I'll be very oh, surprised if he's not in the NBA in the next two years. Very surprised. Yeah. No, I agree entirely. He's better than so, Terrence yeah. Ferguson, who you mentioned. He's better than better than Tory Craig, I reckon. I think you're yeah. better than Terrence Ferguson, quite frankly. So. <laughs> You were never he hasn't a fan. had a great couple of seasons. No, he hasn't <laughs> had a great couple of seasons. So yeah, I guess what looking at you know what sort of happened here. So obviously Al Horford, we unfortunately agreed to chew up his contract, got rid of uh, yeah, got rid of Danny Green, who had just come across from the Lakers, and Ferguson was shipped off to Philly as well. It's a big win for Philly, obviously, landing a career 40% three-point shooter in Danny Green. Admittedly, he's been down a little bit in the last couple of seasons, but he's still very, very solid. The Thunder may have to keep Horford for a couple of years and maybe flip him for a huge expiring before the 2022-23 season. But I don't know, Shuri. I wouldn't be surprised if he's dealt sooner than that. I, I could see contenders desperate around the trade deadline maybe sniffing around for Al Horford. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's potentially flipped 
this season even. And I love what Philly have done too, but we'll mention them in a second. So I guess it's worth noting the first round picks that OKC has over the next five years. Now, I'm not going to run through all of them and all of the specifics because we'd be here for another hour, basically, considering how many there are. But every year between now and 20, so we've got two first round draft picks in 2021. We get the best two out of us, Miami and Houston in 2021. 2022, we've got our own in the Clippers first round draft pick plus the Suns first. 2023, the higher between the Thunder and the Clippers and Miami's first as well, which is lottery protected up until 2026. Got here I am just rattling them off anyway. Pretty much we've got two or three first round draft picks for the next six seasons. So that's the process. Yeah, most of them are protected. Like all the ones from Houston are top four protected. So unless the Rockets are incredibly shit, we're bound to get their first round draft picks. And the Clippers stuff's all unprotected. So I'm hoping that they fall from grace massively. Well, it's very possible. It's very possible. If they jump off that ship, the big guys, the big names. It is very possible. I really love what Philly have done, Stewie. I think they've actually surrounded Embiid and Simmons with the players that they should have been surrounded with last season. So there's more shooting again. They've got Danny Green, as you mentioned. They've got Seth Curry, the younger brother of Steph, and one of the greatest three-point shooters in the league. Also, by the way, (laughs) is married to his new coach's daughter. So that could be interesting. He's going to have to be a very good boy on road trips, I suggest. No fooling around, uh, lest his father-in-law put him on the bench for the rest of his life. But well, I, I really love. Doc. He could invite. He could invite Doc in. <laughs> we, won't, <laughs> we won't go there. It's, it's, but, we're um, talking about a new, a new, a new equivalent of the three and D guy. <laughs> D for dad. Well, but no, I, I do. I do love what Philly have done, and I think it does sound like they are going to give at least one season with Embiid and Simmons as the cornerstones. I actually think they should investigate trading Harris. I think that could be an interesting idea for them. But they yep. definitely have some shooters around yeah. and I like where Philly are going. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think they've they've definitely moved a little bit back towards the team they had before the previous season when they had JJ Redick and a few of the other guys off the bench who could all shoot. So, uh, yeah, you've got to surround Simmons and Embiid with shooters. That's just that's plain and simple. So we've talked about the dreadlocks. We've talked about the tears. We've talked about the virtual interviews going wrong at times. What other tidbits do you have, Stewie? I suppose a couple of notable notes from the uh, from the draft night. Uh, Precious Achua. Bless you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, he's actually got some very interesting named siblings. You've got God's Gift and God's Will. <laughs> so I thought were very fascinating. Yeah. There were a couple of other interesting ones as well, but those two were definitely the uh, the highlights. He could literally say, I'm God's gift to women. He could. He could. And he'd probably be gay, uh, de- just to be ironic. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Uh, Denver's first rounder Zeke Naji said in an interview that music is everything which I found very intriguing and certainly not many people mentioning that as much as what uh, Anthony Edwards said about not liking watching basketball but, <laughs> He was um, a virtuoso on that piano though wasn't he? Uh, Crikey. He was phen- phenomenal Oh player. astonishing, really, he did really the national good. anthem that Ari- was that Arizona? <laughs> uh, I, think it, I think it was No Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina or Duke players went in the lottery which is a, a real rarity Oh super, yeah super so I suppose those were my notable notes. Did you have any notes? Uh, probably my only one to add on top of that is is RJ Hampton. Obviously, we got to see him in the NBL. We got to see him live at Perth Arena as well. So I was really impressed with him. Okay, his numbers were fairly modest. He's super young. 
So, okay, he's a similar age to Lamelo, and he didn't have the stats that Lamelo had, but New Zealand were a much better team and he wasn't featured like Lamelo was. Nearly nine points, uh, nearly four rebounds, two and a half assists, one steal a game in the NBL. It's nothing to sneeze at as a young guy on a team that was pretty stacked. I think he's going to do well and I like him in Denver. Probably he gets the worst reaction of the draft, though. I mean, it looked like he'd been told a family member had died when he was drafted. <laughs> was that a satellite I mean, delay pretty, or something? Or? Oh, oh, I bloody well hope so. I mean, he was drafted by the, the Pelicans, which meant he would have been playing with Zion. And then he was traded to the Nuggets who were a championship contender. Like, what more do you want? Yeah, no doubt, Stewie. I think you're absolutely right there. But uh, I think as time goes on, he'll be pretty happy in Denver, hopefully. And Tory Craig's left, Jeremy Grant's left. So a few players have left, which will open up some minutes for him. So I think that's a really good spot for him. And I think he'll develop quite well in Denver. All right, mate. Our NBA extravaganza has come to a close. We'll be back to normal next week. What are you amped for? Well, I'm definitely out for talking a little bit about the changing of the guard in tennis next week, uh, as well as probably the WBBL finals. Come on, the Scorchers. How about yourself? <laughs> well, I'll stick with the cricket motif. The first ODI between Australia and India is this Friday. Now, I will be at work, so I won't get to see a ton of it. But then the next one is on Sunday. So a couple of ODIs, Australian cricket once again, champing at the bit. Jeez, that's crept up. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. Sport Blokes.